You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta pilots. Here's your host, Ryan Argenta. Welcome back to the Engage podcast. We're here again with Eric Criswell, the chairman of the negotiating committee. Eric, thanks for doing this. I know you've just come back from the road shows. You guys are beat. Final push here. Let's talk deadhead. Our current contract doesn't have a lot of language to help us out or protect us from deadhead operations and seats. First of all, welcome back. And can you walk me through deadheads? Yeah, Ryan, thanks for having me. So deadheads, of course, that's been just a thorn in our side for quite some time. And you hit the nail on the head. There is not really a whole lot of protection built into our current PWA that ends up with pilots sitting in good seats. We, of course, have the first class provision if you're deadheading on ocean crossings. There's some provisions in there that if you have a long enough flight and you're on a long enough duty day, you might be entitled to an aisle seat or a window seat in certain pecking order. But generally, the seats that we get as a result of our deadhead policy right now are mostly due to company policy. They're not due to PWA language. So that means they can change. And we've seen them change quite a bit through the history. Everyone is familiar right now. You have to wait till 24 hours prior and then whatever's left over, you kind of have your pick up. But the reality is rarely anything good left over. So that's a company policy that even enables that. That's not our contract. We're really starting largely from a blank slate when it comes to PWA language that entitles us to a seating priority on the aircraft that has any kind of meaning on a normal duty day. You talk about selecting seats 24 hours prior, it's attached to a rotation. There's been some issues where the company will just block seats and pilots don't have access to them. So what are the gains here in improved deadhead seat provisions? I'll just give the most basic kind of boilerplate scenario is that when a deadhead is built into a rotation and then published in a bid package, that rotation's created by the optimizer, published in the bid package. At that point in time, there are some rules that will govern which seat that pilot gets put in for that rotation at the time that it's created. So of course, if you have a deadhead where it's your, you're not working a leg beyond that deadhead, or if it's less than three hours, you're entitled on that booking priority to a comfort plus seat. And then we prioritize it by saying it's an aisle seat and then a window seat. Now, if at the time that rotation is built, so again, 99% of the time, this is going to be rotations that are built in bid packages. If at the time that it's built, there's not a comfort plus seat aisle window available, then you can flow back into an economy aisle or window. And if for some reason those seats aren't available, you then can be in a comfort plus middle or you can be in an economy middle. And I'll expand on it too. So the way it's written is that it's the second, third, and fourth highest classes on board. So we do have some of these new configurations that's a level above Comfort Plus called Premium Select. So those are more like a traditional first-class seat. That's actually what we're entitled to if that's on the aircraft, but that's not the majority of our fleet. The majority of our fleet, the second highest class would be Comfort Plus. So if your deadhead is three hours or more, and then you have a working leg beyond it, or you are deadheading on a red-eye flight segment, then you're entitled, if it's available, when the rotation is created, you're entitled to a first-class seat in those cases. So available at time of booking means whatever is on Delta.com, whatever is on our primary booking site, if it shows available to purchase for a passenger, that means it's available for Delta pilots. It's not a restricted list of seats. It's not what shows in company business. It, it is what's available on Delta.com for purchase by the public as an open seat. That is what must be considered when they're building that rotation and selecting a seat. And then as pilot bids that, it's put on their schedule and PBS, the pilot ends up dropping it. The next pilot that gets that trip, they keep the seat. They don't lose it. 
So that's really the first protection is that when these rotations get built, it's done so in the bid package and these seats are selected. And that's happening six to eight weeks ahead of these actual flights. If you've ever pulled up a seat map on flights that are six to eight weeks out, they're wide open. So it'd be a very, very rare circumstance where these bid package rotations are not in the highest preference seat that we have provisions for. Okay, some good distinctions there. Three hour or greater segment preceding another working leg or a red eye, you're in first class. Otherwise you go back to what you described and it should be for the majority of deadheads, comfort plus aisle or window. That's right. And it begs the question, if I'm on reserve and they're deadheading me tomorrow, obviously that wasn't built in the rotation. So there's going to be some consternation or yeah, those last minute rotations. Let me talk about that. So we knew that was also a major issue because there's deadheads certainly that pop up for reserve trips or last minute legs that become uncovered and you have to deadhead a pilot in a position. So those have the same provisions. It's whatever is available when that rotation is created, it'll be the exact same list of second highest class on board aisle, then window, and then down through the mix. Now, of course, one or two days out or a week out or whenever these rotations are built at the last minute, there may not be such a large availability of seats on that flight. So the other piece that will kick in that will get pilots in better seats is let's say initially that rotation gets built and you're put in a, an economy window seat. That was the best seat that was available when that rotation was built. From that point, when you get assigned that rotation to when you actually report for that deadhead, there will be automation in place that then looks at upgraded seats for that pilot. This is similar to what happens with our medallion customers right now. If you're a million miler and you buy an economy seat and you have upgrade status, you don't necessarily have to wait until the day of the flight. The system actually automatically upgrades a lot of our premium passengers earlier than so. We now get to be part of that system and we are part of that system at the highest priority. The way the language is written is that we will be upgraded before any other passenger. Now that's any other passenger, that's a medallion frequent flyer. That's any other non-rev passenger. That's anyone else who holds a seat assignment that gets an automatic upgrade. The pilot happens first. That's the first line of defense is that if you get that economy window seat, and then a passenger that's holding a comfort plus aisle decides to cancel their flight or decides to go on a different flight and that seat becomes available, the system automatically looks and says, hey, are there passengers on board that have a right to that seat? The pilots will be at the number one spot on that list and will be entitled to upgrade. So once you report for the flight, and let's say that hasn't happened, let's say nobody's booked away or nobody's let their seat go. But once you check in for that flight, you are now on the upgrade list that everybody's familiar with. It's the monitors that are at the gate or it's your list that's on the app. You'll be the number one on that list as well for whatever seat you were entitled to on that deadhead. I want to make one point clear though, that if, if you were entitled to a comfort plus or a second class of service aisle seat as the best case for the flight that you're on, you're not going to be number one on the first class upgrade list. You're going to sure. be number one on the comfort plus grade list. You're going to be number one on the list for the class of service that you should have been in to begin with. That's exactly right. Now you'll also be on the first class upgrade list, but it'll be in the proper pecking order that we see currently. Right? Yeah. You'll be like number 82 <laughs> yeah. available seats on those flights for first class. Fair enough. But yeah, if your booking priority was comfort plus aisle and they gave you an economy window, you are number one in line for any comfort plus aisle or window or any better seat that comes up down the road. You're the number one in line for that upgrade. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of things and darts about. Well, you know, it's great that we have all these provisions for rotation construction and it's going to be booked at the time that it was built. 
but we have a lot of deadheads off of reserve or reroutes that come into to deadhead provisions. So that's a really good thing to know. Like you're going to be above the million miler to get into the seat that you should get it. Anyone who's rode on Delta knows that there's always upgrades that happen at the gate. There's always a few seats that end up popping open. And with this provision, we will be the very first ones in line. Now, of course, if you're dead in the, as a crew and you've got two pilots on that same flight and you're both looking for the upgrade, it's going to go to the senior one, which these days is not necessarily the captain anymore. <laughs> that's true. Okay. It's going to go to the senior pilot if there's one seat that becomes available. Okay. That's great to know. Now, if there are other deadheading crew members who are not pilots, obviously flight attendants don't have these provisions. So this will be built in for pilots and the flight attendants will kind of flow in with their current practice. Yeah. The language is very clear. It does not say any other customer. It says any other passenger. And so that would trump a flight attendant, another non-rev. If it's a million mile, it does not matter. We are at the top of that upgrade list. I wanted to mention too. So if you do get that economy window seat that you weren't super happy with, what you see right now, when you log in and you look at your deadhead and you look at the seat map is that they restrict the whole thing. Even if there are open seats, you can't select them until 24 hours prior. That goes away. And in fact, that's one of the first thing that gets implemented is that all those seat blocks get removed and that happens on August 1st. So there's some tech that has to happen to get that in place. That was a bit of a fist fight, honestly, to get the dates to where they are on that one. But August 1st, the seat blocks come off. So. As soon as you're booked for a deadhead, you can start to self-select better seats on the airplane. You don't have to wait for 24 hours prior. The full tech, the full automation where it's looking at auto upgrades and all that, that happens in January of 2024. Okay. So two dates to look forward to. Obviously, data signing, this will go into effect. August 1st, you can select those block seats and then January, it's fully automated. Right. Now, does this apply to positive space? You're booking positive space to go to training or a deviation from deadhead where now you're booking your own seat? No, the uh, deadhead provisions apply to deadhead. And so the company business, one of the pieces that resonated at the table when we were negotiating this was just the fatigue factor of deadheading when you're in the middle of a flight duty period or when you're flying a trip. That's really where working pilots need the best seats. And uh, that's the provision as it's contemplated here. Okay. Agreed. So for positive space, for deviation from deadhead, current practice applies, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And. Just to be clear, ocean crossing deadhead does not change. Nope. That's all completely status quo. The one little oddity there is the ocean crossing deadhead language was in section 16 of the contract. So we've actually moved it into the deadhead section, which is section eight. Made more sense to be there than it did to be in section 16. Okay. So now you're at the airport, you've got your seat, you've been upgraded. You're happy with that. Improved deadhead boarding priority. We're currently like main one or something where, what improvements did we get there? As soon as they start boarding on the aircraft, we can board with any zone. So first class or sky, whatever, name your rare earth metal priority. We can board at any time to get our, get room for our bags and get situated before the overhead vents fill up. There's no more restriction to wait for your zone to board. Okay. Very good. And as far as deviation from deadhead, it looks like now you'll get improved per diem for the deviation from deadhead on the back end. Yeah, this has been a slippery thing. It's been on the table. We looked in the past. This has been something that has been attempted to be cleaned up for quite a while. And uh, this agreement finally cleans it up where if you deviate on the back side of your rotation, currently your per diem stops, basically your last working segment. Going forward, you're going to get the per diem for the whole trip, regardless if you deviate on the back end. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. As a deviator myself, I appreciate that. We have some of the questions that have come in about gate agent interaction, right? So we have this in our contract. There's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some implementation times, right? But 
As far as gate agents, giving up your seat to those passengers, obviously they'll be educated. They'll be briefed on deadheading pilots. But what do you recommend pilots do when this doesn't work out? There's now contract language that didn't exist before that says that they can't move your seat. Now, of course, if you were scheduled to deadhead on a 321neo that has whatever 56 Comfort Plus seats and they downgrade that to an A319 that has, I'm just making this up, 12 Comfort Plus seats, there's obviously just not enough seats and they're likely not going to kick paying passengers out of their seats. So there's going to be some changes that happen there just to your seat in those cases, but that's really the exception to the rule. Right now, we've got all kinds of reports where you're deadheading and you thought you had selected a good seat and you're in that exit row aisle and you show up to the flight and you're sitting in the last row middle seat because the gate agent just needed that seat for a different passenger. There's now language that prevents that. So that can't happen anymore. Not to say that it won't. If it does happen, I think, you know, pilots are always best served to try to work it out in the, in the moment exactly yeah. and talk to the gate and say, hey, you know, contract doesn't let you do that anymore. Can I have my old seat back? And if there's a problem, there's certainly a grievance process and uh, you've got the ability to reach out to Alpa and we will absolutely defend the contract with vigor. The reality is there will be growing pains with a lot of this. The contract language is clear though. So there is no ambiguity on implementation. There's a lot of agents out there that are going to have to get the word though. Yeah, absolutely. So work with them. Again, kindness, chocolates and coffee often help. Call crew assist and call scheduling. They may be able to help you out. If it's a last minute thing. You may just have to suck it up and grieve it after the fact, but I think these are good improvements that we can work through. Palisys is a great place to start, honestly. And that's probably your best solution is to call them and say, hey, this is happening and they should be able to resolve it for you. Okay, let's move on to surface deadhead pay. This affects co-terminal operations or if you have maybe a charter, but it seems like there's some improvements here. If you want to walk me through surface deadhead pay. Yeah, the current surface deadhead table is just a fixed rate. I think it pays like $25 an hour, just fixed. And that's been that way for a while. What we've done is just so, you know, we don't have to go and have a fixed rate negotiated in every contract. We've tied it to a flight pay rate so that as flight pay goes up, surface deadhead goes up. It ends up, it's a pretty minuscule pay rate right now at 25 an hour. It does go up to, I think, just shy of 40 in the first year, and then it goes up from there. But really the goal there was to future-proof that pay so it doesn't get left behind when pay rates go up, which is really what's happened in the past. And as far as the surface deadhead, there is a chart in the language, the negotiator's notepad references it. you can look it up, but it's basically $38 and 35 cents an hour. That's right. Does that take into consideration traffic or delays or anything, or is that just a fixed cost? It's a fixed pay for a city pair. They establish a pay for a city pair and that's the way it's worked. That's the current book provision. And that wasn't something that we were charged to fix, but the uh, surface deadhead rates, just getting them tied to a flight pay rate. So that they'll automatically go up consistent with our contract was, was kind of the win in this section. Yeah. And so I suppose for those delays due to traffic or an accident or something going on, then that's individual responsibility to check your fatigue levels. You can work with the duty pilot to bump back report times, et cetera, whatever you need. No doubt about it. We now have fatigue language that really does favor the pilot and make sure that really no reason if you're feeling fatigue or if you're feeling like you've been run through the gauntlet that day and you can't continue, you've definitely got contract language that backs you up now. Very good. Last question here. We had MOU 1801, some improvements for quality of life there. I'm not particularly familiar with it, but now it's incorporated with section 8D3. Yeah, that was kind of an oddity. So back in 2018, we actually negotiated MOU that did a couple things. It first, it clarified that if you're a co-terminal pilot, so let's say you're a New York pilot, and your rotation is built to start out of LaGuardia. And then you fly around for whatever, three or four days. And on the very last day, you're scheduled to deadhead back to New York. 
prior to MOU-1801, it looked at that surface transport timetable and it said, hey, which airport can we get you back home the soonest? Our contract requires us to be returned on the soonest deadhead that gets you home. And just so you don't get kept out on your trip longer than you need to, which is a good provision. But there's times where if you're in a coach terminal, it will take you and it'll send you to, let's say, Newark in that case. And it'll base your travel time on that table time, which sometimes is not enough time to really get you back. So the reality is you could have deadheaded on a flight directly to LaGuardia and been there a lot sooner than waiting for the van and doing a surface deadhead from Newark. So 1801, that was the first thing that tried to solve is it actually doubled those transit times just to make it more realistic. And it said, hey, you don't really want to have to go do the whole surface transport unless it really is getting in sooner. So that's the first thing. The second thing was that at that time, and I think currently, there are quite a few charter operations where you might end very late at night or very early into the morning. So let's say that you block in at 2 a.m. from a charter. And then because of that provision in the contract that requires you to be returned home on the soonest deadhead that is legal, at times the system would look and say, hey, wait a minute, there's a 6.30 a.m. departure that gets you home. The rotation will be built to leave you on duty all night long until that deadhead, in which time you get sent home. So that, of course, if you finish your charter at 2 a.m., but there's a 6.30 deadhead, there were cases where pilots had nowhere to go because you might've come into signature FBO and they're closing doors, but the airport's not open yet. So we had a couple instances where pilots were literally sitting on a park bench in front of the airport, waiting for the doors to open so they could go catch their deadhead home. That wasn't a good situation. So what MOU 1801 did is it offered those pilots a room in that situation and said, hey, you can deviate on that flight. If you want to go to the hotel, go zonk out at the hotel, deviate, grab a later flight and do that. So that's what MU 1801 did. What we did in the contract in contract 2019 was we updated that. And we said, in those cases where you've met these triggers, where you have a late night release and you're supposed to deadhead home, now you're just going to get a break in duty. They're not going to schedule you for that 6.30 a.m. at all. So this gives an exception to that requirement to get you home on the soonest deadhead to give you a break in duty. You end up maybe with another day of pay. Um, you, of course, can still deviate on that early deadhead if you like. But now you've got a formal hotel room that's booked. You've got another duty period and you get a set break in duty on a rotation. So you're not putting that position going forward. And again, you can always deviate on the early flight. Okay. I like that option. Instead of sitting on the park bench, you've got a hotel, you can still deviate, at least go take a shower and commute with dignity, as I call it, and then go home. Yeah. The point was in 1801, in the context of that MOU, they didn't want to add duty periods, but in the context of the contract negotiation, the company was good with adding the duty period in these cases. So that again, it should just make those rotations much more flyable, much more gentlemanly and not put pilots in really bad positions. And that's all as scheduled, right? If you're into an IROP or late operation and you're now landing at 2 a.m. and you have a deadhead scheduled, does that still apply here or is this just book? Well, you probably wouldn't have that deadhead scheduled at 6 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. You know, in the first place. So that's the point of this provision is that if you end up pushing into those early hours, it's going to just overrule that requirement to get you on the first deadhead and say, hey, we're going to give you a break in duty first. So if you were planned on getting in at, let's say, 10 p.m., and then deadheading out the next morning at, call it whatever, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., your rotation was built that way. If you then come in late and you have late operations, that then makes that deadhead not legal. We have a minimum break of 10 hours in the contract now. So that's actually something that changed in our minimum break table where that going forward is improved as well. So you see those instances right now where you'll have a nine hour and 30 minute scheduled layover. 
which you can't do if you're flying the next day, but you can do if you deadhead. Those now scheduled have to be 10 hours and then a minimum of 9.15 actual. So you have about 45 minutes to encroach into that. They got to change your rotation. They got to put you on later that day. Yeah. And so this is a good example of how the different sections are improving quality of life overall, right? We're talking deadhead, but now we're in section 12, section 23, hotels are playing in here. There's a few very impactful provisions that stand on their own, but there's a lot of things that overlap that maybe aren't clearly apparent just by looking at one individual thing, the impact it'll have on the operation. But there's a lot of pieces of the contract that get touched on this negotiation. And uh, there's really a lot that overlap to hopefully make things better. That's really the goal here is that we were charged with improving quality of life on the line. Most of which was done with that in mind. Very good. Anything else for a section eight deadhead? No, I'm looking forward to better seats. And I think it's going to be a very exceptional situation where you end up in a seat that's not great. And of course, we still have the fatigue rules, just like they are right now, where if it makes you fatigued, if you don't get a good seat, you got to assess your fitness for duty on the next leg. And I advise that if that's the situation you're in, absolutely know the rules and know what your entitlements are. Very good. Eric Criswell, chairman of the negotiating committee. This is section eight deadhead. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Ryan. This has been Engaged, the podcast for Delta Pilots. Thanks for listening. My name is Ryan Argenta. Stay safe and keep the rubber on the road. You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta Pilots. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform and receive notifications when a new episode is available.